I grew up with Mr. Rogers, of whom there is a movie out right now, the kindly man who wants to be your neighbor, and he likes me just the way I am. And it was good and intriguing. But you know something? Mr. Rogers was great for me as a kid, and maybe from time to time I still like to hear that. But by and large, I outgrew him. At some point in life, you have to ask the question, okay, I'm great the way I am and all that, but there must be something more, some way in which I can grow, another goal to achieve. I was in the band as a kid, and my mom would come to all of our concerts, which was wonderful, and I could always count on mom to give the concert a thumbs up. That was a wonderful comment, or a concert, you know, that's a, that just always made me happy. One time, though, we were riding home in the car and I asked her to give me her honest assessment of the performance. She said she thought it was splendid or some, some such thing, but I wanted more. I don't want you to answer me as a mom, I told her. I really want to know how we did. And she said, it was fine. And I knew it wasn't an honest critique because she wasn't a musician herself. It was still the mom answer. But I also knew that I wouldn't get any other answer, so we kind of left it at that. I think a thing we have discovered as church, finally, is that saying culturally everything is fine and trying to fit in and be nice is not attractive and it is not helpful in the long run. Once as a seminarian, a few of us were traveling, uh, taking a long trip, for us was a long trip, as poor seminarians, just around the United States and up through Canada a little bit. And somehow it was our luck to always land at a parish where there was one liturgical abuse after another and one sappy homily after vacuous homily. And then we finally ended up in Canada, I think it was Toronto, to the cathedral. And I had to write a letter to the bishop to tell him about what we had witnessed at his mass, that after experiencing so many distractions at masses over that summer, and how after parish after parish, we witnessed liturgical train wreck after liturgical train whack, and with it masses, and here we were in his cathedral, bracing for what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, and then all of a sudden, the mass was over. And it was a good mass. And unfortunately, we were so braced for the wacky thing that was going to happen that we almost missed being present at the mass. So I wrote to him, and he, and he wrote back and invited us over to dinner next time we were up that way. And he says, I understand that many in the church think we have to get with it, but that there's many an it that is not worth being with. I thought that was a great line. And there was something attractive in that letter. He had something to say, and he said it. Through the celebration of their mass, it stood out from our culture. He had something to say. It may be that some people, and maybe even a lot of people, would rather have the mom scenario of being told no matter what, what you're doing is great, everything is fine. And we need that from time to time, but if that is our entire diet, we won't grow. We will never have anything to say. 
As a church, if we simply reflect our culture, why bother coming here on, in the morning? We could just watch TV or our favorite computer feed and plop Jesus on top of it. Jesus and his saints and the faith that made a splash in the world did it by not giving people participation trophies, but by being countercultural, by walking against the stream, opening people's eyes to other possibilities, better possibilities. That's why the saints are most often found when there's a lot of trouble in the church, because they don't go along to get along, but call us back to who we are supposed to be. St. Therese, right? St. Francis, St. John of the Cross. They stood out from their times calling people back to who we are. What made John the Baptist such a compelling figure? Here's this bizarre guy out in the desert, dressed in weird clothes. What did Jesus say about him today? What did you go out in the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing. A reed swayed by the wind. Someone who goes along with the current cultural trends. Why would you go listen to him for that? Someone dressed in fine clothing. That is a person who represents the powers that be, the party line. Why would you need to go out in the desert to hear that? But rather, someone who has something new to say, to offer an alternative. Even today, people too, too often soften the blow of what John or even Jesus has to say in order for people to feel comfortable. Make them into the fluffy, kind, soccer-playing friend who thinks you're just great. But that doesn't make them more attractive. It makes them irrelevant. So we make Christmas about tinsel and trees and presents, and we sing sweet songs about how comfortable Jesus is in a feeding trough, in a barn being kept warm by the breath of an ox and an ass. But this birth from which we mark the very source of our calendar changed everything. It's explosive, it's world-altering, it's on the tiny shoulders of the infant Christ that the entirety of Western culture was built. What happened in those parts of the world that celebrates the birth of this baby and practiced his way of life? It's there, springing up from that feeding trough, that the first hospitals were established. It is there that we see the universities spring. It is from there that modern sciences were developed despite what you might have been taught. Great forms of art, soaring forms of architecture, templates for international law and banking, institutionalized care for those who are most vulnerable. These spring up earliest and strongest where Christ was heralded. And if we want to bring healing to the life of these organizations and our culture and the church, then we can't tame John the Baptist or defuse the baby in the manger, but take them deadly seriously. To realize when we look upon the manger scene, we are seeing the genesis of who we are and what we believe. The mighty force 
that shaped us the way the glaciers slowly shaped northern uh, the United States, right? The Great Lakes carved it out to bring our lives to the manger scene, to listen to what he says, to not invite Christ into our life, but to bring us to him, our lives to him, to bend our knees, our desires, our wills, to the one to whom we owe everything, who can lift us to greater things, to the things that we can accomplish and the things that we can be for ourselves and for our culture.